0: Uh, producers so that it looks and feels like Jesus is Kenyan, or he is Mexican, or he is Indian, whatever the case may be. We've gotten to do that for now in ministry 30-some years. I had the opportunity to be and live and work in Kenya for 20 years uh, with my lovely wife, Carolyn. Uh, I, a student here, she, a graduate of here, our uh, father-in-law and mother in law Iden and Helen Nutt, were graduates of here. Uh, my in-laws and my wife are on the wall of fame over there. I'm just kind of along for the ride. But uh, we have a lot in this school. My daughter, Catherine, graduated. She met her husband, Mike Tucker, here. They work at Prairie Grove Christian Church uh, down in Fayetteville. So we have a lot of good, fond memories of what God does in our lives on this campus. So, when you start the semester, don't squander it. Use it for God's honor and purposes because you will get great dividends. We also have the opportunity from time to time to think about what God wants to do in our worlds when we're sitting in these seats. And so, in a newly married couple, we were wondering where we should go in the world, felt cross cultural work was our gig. And so, we went to a place, they said, Well, there's a thing called the National Missionary Convention, or now ICOM as it was branded then, NMC. And it's going to be in a town, Lexington, Kentucky. And you ought to go there, Mike and Carolyn, and maybe God will give you clarity. So we got in as a newly married couple of 14 months and went there. And sure enough, we heard a very clear call from the Lord and connected with people who would recruit us to join a team to work in the country of Kenya. January 4th, January 10th of 1984, I had my very first plane ride, my very first mission trip experience as I landed with my bride of two years and a 10-week-old daughter and landed in the country of Kenya for 20 years of mission work. God is so, so gracious and good and we have a really close place in our hearts for the NMC or ICOM because it was the launching pad out of which we would serve 20 years with the Lord and team in cross-cultural work. And little did we know that when I said yes, I would agree to come to uh, work again as a volunteer president for ICOM, that it would be my wife would remind me, said, do, you, do you realize, Mike, that uh, the very city that you're going to to be president in is the very city where we heard the call. That's the God we serve, people. He's the one in the minutia. He's the one in the little details of life, your life. And he doesn't forget. And I want you to know that while you may be praying, and those of you who go, that we're praying for those eight or 10,000 people, that there will be appointments that only God can make, and there will be anointing that only God can give. Because people, there's a world out there. That's on your shoulders and waiting for you and me to talk to and to make disciples. And so that's the video I want to share now is the video that says, hey, let us church be mobilized. Let us make disciples. We make disciples every day. We coax our children with our food preferences. We enter the annual college basketball finals bracket, excitedly rooting for our alma mater. We energetically promote our brand of mobile devices. iPhone 6, iPad 3, and Apple Watch. After all, we're Apple aficionados. Who needs Samsung, Surface, or Androids? I'm kidding, of course. Yes, it's as easy as breathing to become a disciple. And to make disciples today of certain foods, college teams, or technology. So when Jesus asked, No, wait a minute, he commanded disciples like you and me to make disciples, he assumed that we could do it and that it would come naturally, like eating, cheering, and working. Whether you find yourself in India, Kenya, the U.S., or wherever you may be, we are all called to mobilize. So how are we doing with that? It's true that millions follow Jesus, but billions still do not. Thousands of people groups are isolated because there are few local Christians to know much less to hear and to follow. Entire world religious blocks like Hindus, Muslims, and Buddhists have not changed. It's time to mobilize the church to carry out the eternity-drenched task she's called to do at home and abroad, to make disciples. So mobilize, discipling to make disciples, is the theme of ICOM 2016 in beautiful Lexington, Kentucky. Local and international speakers will share how they are successfully making disciples and will mobilize and challenge us to follow them as they follow Christ to do the same. International disciples staying true to Christ under religious persecution will share their powerful testimonies. Tons of workshops dealing with today's realities of poverty, immigration, sex trafficking, injustice, technology use, proclamation, and more will all be available. Drama, worship, prayer, and media will all help mobilize us as we network at the exhibit halls. I know it'll be a blessing for all involved. So make plans, won't you, now to come to ICOM 27 16 in Lexington, Kentucky, November 17 through 20, to experience the need and to heed the call to mobilize and disciple. Jesus and a waiting world are watching. So, church, what's it going to take to mobilize us? The history tells us that uh, we were not wanting to get into war, World War II. And then a little thing called Pearl Harbor happened and the bombing happened on our shores. And with that, we woke up. We said, no longer can we avoid that war. No longer can we just say on the sidelines, we were going to get involved. And then one act of aggression went ahead and began to mobilize us. Our young people recruited themselves and said, we're ready to go and to fight. Armies and factories were redeployed and retooled to do things that they would never have done in peacetime. The kinds of things that were to be produced the kinds of uh, support that was needed, it had the entire country. As some historians have said, a tiger was woken up as we went into war. You know, I read my Bible, we're still in war. You know, Paul says in Second Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3, that we do not wage war as others wage war. I read in my Bible about the book of Revelations and we talk about there the war that has happening and is occurring and that we hear that Jesus himself is going to be the leader in that one final victorious war. So whether we like it or not, whether we like what the culture is saying or not today, whether we like the choosing of who is going to be our next president or not, we are being pulled into the reality that's always been there and that is, church, we're war. And in war, a unique thing happens. In war, common people do common things in sacrificial ways. Common people, like you and me, do common things in sacrificial ways. So that's why we need to be mobilized. That's my passion, is to wake up us as a church here in our very, very wonderful, luxurious liner of life in America. We need to understand that of all the things that Jesus could talk about, those 62 to 60 words of his Magna Carta, of that great vision that he had for the church, of when he returned after dying on the cross and talking to his Father, and then him coming back and that he's saying, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, therefore go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And lo, I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. Go and make disciples. Now, I understand... But church planning is important. I did that. I understand that education, Christian nature, is important. I understand that. But we have to understand, church, that there is a dying world out there that needs us to do the very thing that we as common people always do. And we make disciples every day, as the video said. Why can't we make disciples who also follow Jesus? So what will it be that mobilizes you and me? Will it be that news that your father has cancer? A lady 32 that I know has pancreatic cancer right now and fighting for her life. Will it be the news of what happened in Orlando at the nightclub that mobilizes you? Will it be the news that another earthquake has happened, another tragedy like a tornado has struck another town and taken another hundred lives? What will it be, church, to wake us up? The lion, not the tiger, but the lion of Judah. And follow him. And make disciples. I love, very quickly, what Scott Roden wrote in his blog in June of this year. He says, the, fir- the three common things that we need to do in post-modernity in our culture today to go ahead and be effective disciple-makers. And they are not that tough. Number one is that you just have to be kind. My friends, my church, do you not hear the rhetoric and the hatred today? Let us be a church and a people that just gives a kind word. Let us no rant on Facebook. Let us not rant about this party or that party. Let us be the people who are kind. My wife works at Life Choices. Her name, Carolyn Shrogi. Four clinics, three of them stationary in offices and one immobile. And when there was a time a couple years ago when there was a lot of ranting going on against Planned Parenthood, my wife did the uncommon thing in a very sacrificial way. She went over there and with a bouquet of flowers, that's one of her love languages and a gift card, she went over and she met that person who was the administrative leader of Planned Parenthood. And she said, I am so sorry. For what our city has done to you. I am so sorry. If there is anything we could do. At Life Choices. You let us know. And we will try. Can I pray with you? And she agreed to be prayed for. Did you know And then the months and that followed and so forth, the increasing population of people that that lady and that administrator and her staff is sending people that are her clients over to Life Choices? Yes. The power of a kind word. The power of a common woman doing a common thing in a sacrificial way. Number two, giving in irrational ways. My heart broke as I was traveling in Kentucky and I told about the fact that my oldest daughter at one point worked in the service industry. She was a waitress trying to put herself through school. And so you learn to really be a better tipper, people, when your kids are trying to put themselves through school. I'm just telling you. And so... It was one of the things that this guy, after I told the story, and then I'll tell the story, he said, you know, Mike, that is so true what you've told it. My, My own daughter, she works and she got this piece of advice when she was first told how to waitress tables. And this is the section, he said, the lady told to her, she said, this, I just want to give you one warning. One warning. That on Sundays, if you have to work on Sundays, I'm sorry. And if on Sundays you have to work and you see the people who bow their heads, stay away from that table. He was dead serious. Because if you go to that table, you will get people who will harangue you, and they will be unkind, and they will give you a very poor tip. Stay away from the tables that bow heads. Oh my gosh. Church, we've lost our way in doing the common things. In very extraordinary sacrificial ways, and so my wife and I, we love Chinese, uh, Japanese food, and so here's a Japanese place here in town that we went to, and we had sushi and so forth, and i don 't know why it was. it was maybe the Christmas spirit, I like to think it was the Holy Spirit, but in either case, I went ahead and I left the tip of the amount i 've never left in my life. I did it, and I was so scared i didn 't even tell my wife. And then I forgot about it, and Christmas came and gone, and New Year's came and went. And coming to the end of February, I, we went ahead and decided we had a hankering for Japanese food again. And so we went to the same restaurant there, and we went ahead, and my wife was there. She beat me first, and then uh, later I got there, uh, and we both sat down, and I noticed that there was a lady waiting kind of awkwardly by our table and so forth. And as I sat down, she said, <clears throat> hello. I said, hello? I didn't know who she was. She said, you don't remember me, do you? I said, no, I don't, I'm sorry. She said, I've been hoping for the day that you would walk through those doors and I would be working again so that I could tell you thank you. And I just have one question. How did you know? How did I know? By this time, my wife's looking over her glasses, you know. (laughs) I know we're going to have a conversation at home. Yeah, honey, what did she not know, you know? <laughs> How did you know that I had just broken up with my partner, that we had a 10-month-old son, that my family, my mom and dad live out of state, and I knew that there was no way I was even going to get to the girl home for Christmas? And your tip made that possible for me to go home and to even have a gift for my little boy. How did you know? And she broke down and began to cry. And my wife came, and as my wife only does so well, began to encapsulate, to love, and to hug on her. And she told us her whole story. There's waitresses going up and down. I mean, we're having a sob party here. Forget the food. <laughs> we're talking about Jesus in a Japanese restaurant in Joplin, Missouri, because we did an ordinary thing in an extraordinary way. Common people doing a common practice in a sacrificial way, and it opened a door, church, to a conversation. Can you do that? Whether that is an action, a kind word, whether that's a generosity, and let us change That when people in the future see us bow our heads on Sundays, they're the first people to want to come to that church and wait, or excuse me, and wait on that table after church. They're the first people who want to stay at that table because they will be lavished with kindness. They will be given generous tips. They will be the ones who said, I don't know what church they are, but I really like them. Amen? And lastly, with a word that's kindness and Generosity is this, we need to be people who are pointing not to the words of a Bible, and I love my Bible both here and digitally. Don't get me wrong. I love this school that teaches the Word of God. But we, at the end of the day, have to teach them first to go to the Word, W-O-R-D, before they ever get encapsulated inside the church or inside scripture or whatever it is. Let me tell you the story of the Kenyan nurse that I met on a Delta flight going to Kenya. I lived in Kenya for 20 years. I know Swahili. And so, there's this thing that happens in my dilemma, and I confess to you now, it's not a pretty thing, but I travel lots, and I travel lots of hours on airplanes, and sometimes I'm just tired. You ever get that? And I'm just, you know, I just, I just, and I have this real trick, you know? If I'm tired and I want to sleep, there's the conversation thing next to me, so, so, what's your name? So what do you do? Oh, that's awesome. And then the tag you're it part of the conversation happens. They have to go ahead and oblige and say, and they look at me and say, and so what's your name? (laughs) And here it comes. What you do. And here's the line in the sand. This, this racing moment in my mind that I can make a decision right there between this person I'm going to sit for the next eight hours, if I am tired and I don't want to do anything but just go watch a movie or take notes of what I've done on my trips or get ready or sleep or whatever it is, I will say this. I'm a missionary (laughs) and I'm guaranteed of eight hours of bliss. Or on some of my better days, I will go, well, I work for an NGO, non-profit organization that we went ahead and we empower national people around the world to make media productions that will give social and spiritual lift to the citizens of their country and community. And people are going, wow, (laughs) tell me more. And I just explained Good News Productions International (laughs) in a culturally relevant way that they would understand. Church, we need to understand that we can't bring them into the church until they found Jesus. Because if you bring them into the church, guess what they find in church? Dead men walking. Brokenness. Hypocrisy. Is that really something you want them to fall in love with, is the Church? in her stinkiness, in her sinfulness, in her brokenness or would you rather have her first have him first win and follow God? And so I told this man, this this Kenyan nurse I said, "You know what? I am a worker and I explained how I do all this and so forth and I finally said to him after two or three beers on his side I said, "You know, I'm I'm a missionary." Oh, that's awesome, man. I ought to go to church, man, when I go back. Really? Yeah, you know, my mom's head of the Presbyterian Church in our local community. She even did Sunday school. Yeah, man, so you went to church when you were in Oklahoma City? Oh, are you kidding? Man, no way. Oh, so you're going to go to church when you arrive in Kenya and go back with your mom. Okay, nice. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, it's been a long time. I ought to do that. Mm-hmm, okay. And then I had him. I said, "And well, you know, and he is another one. or I don't remember when we were stopping the gap. And I said, I wouldn't. Here's this white man who's poured 20 years in learning his language and living in his country and doing the typical things that he thought missionaries were supposed to do. And he thought missionaries were supposed to be that one that, you know, just snags onto somebody and just really recruit them. (laughs) And here he is doing the absolute one, the absolute 180 opposite and saying, don't go to church. And then I knew I had him. (laughs) After a long silence, I said, no, I wouldn't go to church. I'd go to Jesus. Because when you fall in love with the Jesus I know, you'll see that he takes my brokenness and your brokenness and he cleans it. When you find the Jesus that I find and you go to him, you'll find a church that, yes, there are lots of hypocrites, but you'll also find that we are married to him and we are the bride and that you'll find that you're along on the same broken journey that I'm on and then you'll go ahead and you will not ever find one other hypocrite because you've fallen in love and you know the word and then you know the church so let us church do this let us do uncommon things in sacrificially extraordinary ways to make disciples let us have kindness in our words let us be generous in action and money too and let us point people to the word and then the church that's married to the word Amen. I'll tell you one final story and then we'll end it with a video here about the RISE project, one of the unique things that we're doing in our um, missionary endeavor this year at ICOM. We're going to have a refugee and international student engagement is what RISE stands for. And it's reaching out because I'm really kind of tired of the either or story that says, well, I either I'm going to be a worker here in my home country, or I'm going to go overseas. And it's not that way. We're all sent we all got that commandment. We all got that call to be mobilized, to be in war, and to do common things in sacrificially and commonly great ways, irregardless of the geography. And so we're trying to raise a quarter of a million dollars that will mobilize churches and campus ministries to reach out to the refugees and to the international student community. Like the ones that are right next door to you in MSSU and other places, PSU, Crowder. And you'll see that video here in a minute. But to finish up, I want to show you another story. I was on a plane again coming back from, I don't remember where, we were landing and headed to Denver. And I had a real strong sense that I needed to talk this time and stop watching movies or doing note-taking and talk to this person. He was obviously not American. He was Asian-looking in descent, best I could tell. And he had his wife and two children, and we were in the row of five in the middle of this aircraft. And it was just the strongest sense. And I was in this really, really not wanting to talk to any about Jesus mood. And it was so strong. That about three and four hours into it, I finally said, so, what's your name? Where are you coming from? And honestly, I had no heart in it. And he told me, he's from Pakistan, and he had gone back with his family, because his mother had died, and, so we began to talk about the life and times of Pakistan and about the war and the divide between it and India. And we we talked about him coming back to uh, America now, that he lives and works here with an oil company in Dallas, and that he had been there about ten years. Just that at one point I had been like in um, international work, uh, twenty years in Kenya, and so forth. And we had a delightful time when we were talking back and forth and talking about Muhammad and talking about Jesus and the Quran and the Bible, and on and on. And it was such an engaging conversation; we didn't even want to stop and eat. And as we were beginning to land and the landing gear was coming down and we buckled and we all started finishing up our conversations. As we got up and we landed safely, and I on one side and he and his family of four on the other side. And pulling down the luggage, they went ahead and they started to pull the strollers down and go ahead and take the luggage and so forth. And he turned around and it will be words I will never forget. I wish we would have had this conversation sooner. I wish we would have had this conversation sooner. How many in the world are saying that to you and me today? Church, let us rise. And let's watch this video and think about ways that we can creatively reach people in our communities. And you're all invited to ICOM and be mobilized to make disciples. Coming to America, I never really knew what to expect. Or oh, actually, I did know what to expect, but I didn't meet my, expect- didn't meet my expectations. You know,
1: I had international students when they arrive in our country, everything is new. And when I came to the U.S.,
0: one of the one of the struggles that I had was just being lonely. Talk, just talk. Not friendly, not kind. Just talk to me.
1: And when international students encounter that new kind of culture, they feel so alone. And they are so eager to meet someone that will just adopt them to be part of their family. I spent the Thanksgiving with him and his family. That was amazing. All of all of the students that we hosted, uh, that we develop long-term relationships with, call us mom and dad.
0: And what started as a friendship family, it now ends as, as a real family. She opened her home up to me, and she is family to me right now. I would do anything for her, literally.
1: The average family has everything they need to begin reaching out to international students. Your family has everything you need. Nobody becomes a refugee by choice. You know, uh, raping, looting, killing, arresting, imprisoning, all these things started. But I can't forget the past because I was in past. People who have come to the United States as refugees are people who suffered um, hardship and persecution. One thing that I've really learned from Judith is that it's more important about the relationship. And there would never be a... T- about the relationship and there would never be a time well hey everybody sorry about the video uh, if you have more information about this you uh, feel free to find Mike after chapel and ask, more, ask him some questions about that please allow me to pray over us as we are dismissed let's bow our heads and pray Lord all power and authority has been given to you and we respond to that call that you have placed over our lives to go and make disciples, not disciples of any ordinary thing, but disciples of Jesus. Lord, let our everyday studies not just be a grab for knowledge, but Lord, let them be something extraordinary, something that is devoted to you, something that we learn to go out into um, into the world, into our daily lives, Lord, as worship. Lord, you are great. You are powerful. Lord, help us to make our ordinary lives something extraordinary through the power of Jesus. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. You are dismissed. Have a good one.